year and a half ago, I was thinking ahead about two years of my life to, uh, to the milestone when I was going to be the half century mark and just kind of thinking a little bit about that. And I shared with you last week how as I, as I thought about my life, I was really kind of amazed at just some of the some of the ways that God has blessed me, some of the things that he's done in my life. And, and uh, it, as I went through that, um, I was just really encouraged. Except that, uh, as I mentioned last week, I noticed that as I've gotten older, that it feels to me like I'm beginning to play it a lot more safe in my life when it comes to, to my faith. And I, I gave you the picture last week. If we were to imagine that our life was like, was like this bucket and, and what makes up our life are all the things that we let God and, and ourselves and other people put in that. And that, this makes us uh, what we are. I feel like that as I've gotten older, I've become a little more protective of, of what goes in there. It, you know, it used to be when I was younger, I'd be like, yeah, God, throw that in and throw that in and I'll move there and go over there and whatever it was. But as I get older, I got, got a family and got a mortgage and some of that stuff. I find sometimes I'm protecting that a little bit. And I mentioned to you that it really became concerning to me because I started to realize when, when I do that, when I protect that, I'm, I'm, not just, I'm not just keeping those things out of my life that I feel uncomfortable with. To a certain degree, I'm keeping God. Out of, my, out of my life, out of my everyday experience, the power of God, the purposes of God, the, the amazing things that come when you let God set the agenda in your life. And so about a year and a half ago, I sat back and I said, God, if I was just a step away from, from controlling that, what would that look like? What, what would you want to do? And so I mentioned that God began to kind of dangle some things over the, my bucket and say, I'd like to drop this in. And so you know, one by one, I began to let him drop some of that in. But there was one thing in particular that I was really struggling with. And that is I had felt for a while that God was calling me to go on a short-term mission trip. And uh, I just didn't see myself as, you know, one of those people. I just, that's not how I thought of myself. And I had all sorts of excuses. And so I kind of kept pushing back on God and pushing back. But he brought this up. And this last spring, he kind of brought it to a head when my, uh, when my middle child, Nicholas, came up to my wife and I and said, I really feel like God wants me to go to uh, Nicaragua this summer on the short-term mission trip with our church. And I remember just in my mind, just, saying, oh man, God, you know, for years I've let my fears control my agenda and keep that thing out of my bucket. But you know I can't say no to one of my children. One of my children wants to go on a short-term mission trip. And I just remember kind of just telling God, oh, that was a, that was a good play. Yeah, because you totally got me and there's nothing I can do. And I guess now I have to go. That doesn't mean that I didn't have issues, and that doesn't mean that it was easy, and that doesn't mean that I didn't have my fears, like I just instantly got over those. But last week, we talked a little bit about uh, how, do we, how do we discover the things that God wants to put in, in our bucket. And we looked at the story of Nehemiah in the Old Testament book of Nehemiah chapter 1 and 2, and we, we talked about some, some ways that we can kind of catch a clue into what God wants, us to, wants to do in our life. We talked about paying attention to the things God is trying to say to us. We talked about dwelling for a while on that stuff, and we talked about the idea of stepping forward when God gives us something we can do to, to do that. And so I, I've realized, and I kind of suspected this, but this last week I got some emails and some phone calls and got to talk to some of you about the fact that some of you are in that place right now, somewhere in there. And uh, I had a few of you just talk about, in general, the thing that you really got was just the, the need to step back and stop trying to control what God wants to do in your life and just let God 
be God and let God set the agenda. It, it, some of you undoubtedly, like, like me, are, are some of the things you're dealing with are character issues. God maybe doesn't so much want to put something in there as much as maybe there's something he wants to take out. And sometimes that can be a painful thing. But again, just God's doing some work there. For Some of you shared how there's just some relational things that God is calling you to right now. And it's been a little bit scary for you. But this week you had a little victory in pulling your hands away and, and letting God do what he wants to do. For some of you, God's been calling you to get involved in some kind of service, some kind of ministry. I had one person come up this week and say, I really feel like God's calling me into starting my own business and just shared that story with some of us on staff. And, and some of you have shared how you're pretty sure the thing God's calling you to do is go on a short-term mission trip next year. And, and I, would, I would say that was probably a great idea for you. But the, the thing you need to understand is that when, when we step away from the bucket and when we let God dangle some stuff over there and begin to put some stuff in, Satan is going to try to play on your fear. He is. He, he's going to try to stop you from just letting God do whatever he wants in your life. So as I was thinking back, when I finally told God, okay, fine, you can put the Nicaragua trip in my bucket and I'll go on the short-term trip, but, but I still had some issues to work through. And I don't know if you can relate to this at all, but like one of the things that I was most scared of um, in going to Nicaragua is, did anybody in here beside me like, get motion sickness really easy, like car sickness, travel. Okay, I, man, I do get in a car. So whenever I drive somewhere, I drive. Because if I'm in the passenger seat, you don't want me in your car. It's just, it's not good. And when I fly, it's the same thing. And I get, so I kept, this is the picture that I had in Nicaragua. Like, I'll get on the plane and I'll, I'll either, you know, be sick on the plane or I'll have to take Dramamine. Anyone like Dramamine beside me? So if I take Dramamine, ooh, I'm just like drugged for 24 hours. So I'm either drugged or I'm sick to my stomach. So I'm picturing we'll get on the plane and I'll be drugged or I'll be sick. And then we'll get to Nicaragua and we'll have, there's just going to be a lot of driving, you know. So we'll get to the airport and we'll have to get in a vehicle and they'll drive us somewhere. And it's just, I'll talk more about this in a few weeks, but driving there is nuts. It's, it's crazy. And so I'll be in that. Every morning I'll have to get in a vehicle and drive down the road. And every day it's going to be like my choice. Drop a, you know, take a Dramamine and, and kind of be drugged all day long or don't do it and be sick to my stomach all day long. And that was actually one of the things that I was most concerned about. It, it may sound strange, but just that, that whole concept. And I thought, God, I don't know. I don't really know how that's going to work out. Um, another thing was the, the whole language thing, the language barrier. Because I know like five Spanish words. Now, I wasn't worried about like, so here I'm speaking at a church and this isn't what I'm worried about because I had two interpreters when I was speaking at this church. So that was easy. I had one, I had, I had Nancy on one side and I had Jamil uh, who was uh, from Nicaragua on the other side. So uh, in this church I would speak and Nancy would interpret and then sometimes I'd speak and Jamil would interpret and sometimes I'd speak and they would look at each other and talk for a minute and then one of them would speak to the congregation. And so, you know, between the two of them usually got a that isn't what I was worried about. I was worried about people like Ariel. So this is a, this is a guy, the first day that we were there, uh, we kind of met, uh, we we're digging ditches next to each other. And that, that was the thing I was worried about, digging a ditch next to somebody who's trying to talk to me in Spanish and I don't speak Spanish. I know how to order at Taco Bell and that's all I know how to do. And so I'm just kind of like imagining. So now he's looking at me and he's, he's like trying to talk to me in Spanish and I don't know Spanish. So then he'd, he'd talk really slow and, and enunciate the words, you know. Just like, I have no idea what you're saying. I found out like five days later all he really wanted was my gum, you know. So, but he'd always go like that and I didn't know what he was saying. So 
But I was really concerned about that whole thing, just the awkwardness, the, the, the kind of weirdness of that. Then there was the weather. The weather. So I'd heard all the stories. Now, uh, you've probably heard, you know, in Nicaragua, it's, it's hot. So it's like in the 90s when we're there, and it's humid. So I've never lived in, I've lived in hot weather, but I've never lived in hot, humid weather before. So, of course, a lot of my friends took delight in describing to me how horrendous it is to live in that and just kind of get me all worked up about it. But I really, I had no idea how difficult it would be. And everyone said, oh, you'll get used to it. It, it, what I realized is you don't get used to it. You just, you just give up, you know, because you, you're sweating all the time. So here's, there's a little audio on this, and I know this is going to be loud and you can't understand what I'm saying, but that's kind of the point. So one day we're, uh, we're in Cristo Rey and um, we're working, and, and this, is, this is what happens. Let's see if, if you can hear this. So well, we're here at Cristo Rey. That's rain, and, all right? Uh, we're having to take a break for a minute. You can see why. So... It's just, it's a torrential downpour right here. And the thing that you don't pick up when, and I mean, it's just, it's just coming down. But what you don't know when you look at it is it's like, it's in the 90s, okay? So it's just like, now, granted, when it, on, on, and it would rain like this every day. Now, some day at times it would rain at night, which was fine. When we weren't working, sometimes it would rain in the day, and it would only rain like, I don't know, 10 minutes or so. And, and it would be in the 90s, and then it would start raining, you know? And, and then it might cool down. It, it could cool down, I don't know, it felt like 10 degrees. But then as soon as it stopped raining, it started getting hot again, you know? And then all that water's just sitting there, and it's just the humidity. And I, I was really worried about that, whether I could handle that or not. And then just, just the physical labor, the idea of it being hot and being humid, and you're digging ditches. And, you know, I mean, I work out. You could see that. But I'm just like, I'm just like thinking to myself, you know, man, just, just digging, and can I, can I keep up with everyone? And, and just the whole thing, like, you know, if I'm working at home and I'm working hard, I can stop anytime I want. But when I'm there, you know, you just got to keep working and keep going. And so I was a little concerned about that as well. And then there was the, and we'll, I'll, I'll talk to you more about this week, but there was the water. So everyone just kept talking to me about the water. Oh, you got to be careful of the water. And if you drink the water, it'll make you sick. And, and I'm just like, that's the one thing I did not want. I, give me a headache, you know, give me a fever. Fever, uh, you know, but man, just don't. I just don't want to be sick to my stomach. So I'm just walking around the whole time worried about, you know, where did this water come from? And is that water clean? And where do those ice cubes come from? And that whole, just the whole water thing. And then there's the, I, there's the bug. So I heard all of these stories. Like the story that kept me awake at night was the story that Mike Lamb told, which I'm not going to repeat to you. But I just, I just had this picture like, man, the bugs are going to come looking for you at night. It's going to be creepy. And then the bugs really weren't that bad. We were digging up tarantulas. That's a, like in, in my hand, there's a tarantula. And actually, they, they didn't really bother me that much. They bothered Morgan, but that's another story. And you can, you can see the video on that. But actually, the, the, the bottom line is this. For, for years, one of the things that kept me from going to Nicaragua was just I was, I was afraid. I was not being controlled by faith. I was being controlled by fear. Now, as I'll talk about next week, a lot of the things that kept me away were just really, they, they were unfounded. There really weren't going to be problems or issues at all. But in 2 Timothy 1.7, this is what Scripture says. Notice it says, For God has not given us a spirit of, of what? Of fear. That doesn't come from God. God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but notice this, but of what? Power. God has given us, God has given you a spirit of power, a spirit of love, and notice a spirit of self-discipline. The kind of spirit that says, I trust God. 
yeah, and I have faith in God, and I can discipline myself to live, to live out that faith. And yet, how often are we controlled by fear more than we're controlled by faith? If you have your Bible tonight, open to the book of Judges. We're going to be in chapter 6 and 7, and we're going to look at a little period in Israel's history. We call it the time of the Judges. This was before Israel had kings, and uh, they, God had, had made them a nation. God had given them um, a land, and uh, they didn't have kings yet, so they would go through these cycles where um, they would follow God, and they would serve God, and God would bless them. And then, um, and then they would start to forget about God and they would start to worship idols and walk away from God and then God would stop blessing them and then they would end up getting in some difficult situation and they'd cry out to God and God would send them a deliverer, a judge, to deliver them and then they would love God again and they would serve God and everything would be great and then they'd forget God and walk away from God. And so you're going through this whole cycle of the judges and it says this in Judges 6.1, it says again, so we're starting the cycle over again, again, the Israel Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And for seven years, he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. Because the power of Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in the mountain cliffs, caves, and strongholds. So a little background here. 200 years earlier, Israel had defeated the Midianites in battle. And, and, and after that, Israel begins to go through this cycle. They, they get a little cocky. They think that they're all that. They stop depending on God. They begin to ignore him. They worship idols. They get involved in all, all kinds of sin. And so God pulls back and he stops blessing them and he stops protecting them. Now for 200 years, the, the Midianites have been kind of crafting their revenge, probably desiring revenge. And historians tell us that during this period that in, in the Midianites, that their population was growing dramatically. That, so there was a lot of them. And, and we're told that they were the first to domesticate the camel. And what this meant was, it meant that they could travel faster, that uh, when they would arrive somewhere, they, you know, they had, didn't have to carry the packs and all the weapons, they could put it on the camels, and they'd use these camels as weapons of warfare. And one day they realized, man, we're strong enough to take our revenge on Israel, and that's what they do. In verse 3 it tells us this, now, whenever the Israelites planted their crops, the Midianites, Amalekites, and other eastern people, so other nations would get in on this as well, they invaded the country and they camped on the land and they ruined the crops all the way to Gaza and did not spare a living thing for Israel, neither sheep nor cattle nor donkeys. So, you know, you could imagine every spring for those of you like us who have a garden, you go out and you plant your garden, right? And you're, and you're watering it and you're tilling it and you're taking care of it. And then just about the time that uh, it's going to start producing, the Midianites come in and they just, there's so many of them that the Israelites would have to run and hide in the hills. And meanwhile, the Midianites would destroy their crops. They would destroy all of their food and they came up with their livestock and their tents like swarms of locusts it was impossible to count the men and their camels they invaded the land to ravage it so they weren't just coming in to to do battle with the israelites they were going to torture them over a period of time they were going to make them pay midian so impoverished that the israelites that they cried out to the lord for help for seven years they're living in this poverty for seven years, they're living in this kind of state of perpetually being defeated and, and living in fear and living in hiding. And then they turn to God once again and they cry out to God. And God answers them in verse 11. It says, now the angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak and over. So God hears their cry and God decides that he's going to do something about that. And notice the way that he does that. He says, he goes down and there was this son, there was this man named Gideon who was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it 
from the Midianites. So Gideon is an, is an Israelite. And he's this man who's living during this period. He's living in fear. So he, he finds a little bit of wheat and he takes it to this wine press, which was probably in a cave, so he can hide out. And uh, he's, you know, he's trying to, to, to prepare a little bit of this wheat. Now, when God wants to put something in, in your bucket, when God wants to add something to your agenda, and, and you find yourself being fearful of that, how do you do that? What do you do with that fear? We're going to look at Gideon today because God wants to put something in Gideon's bucket. He wants Gideon to do something, but Gideon's got some fear that he needs to overcome. So here's the first thing I want us to notice in this passage today, and that is if we're going to learn to peop, uh, be people who walk by faith and not by fear, we need to learn to change our, our point of view and begin to see ourselves like God sees us. We need to embrace God's point of view. That's what we see beginning in verse 12. It says, Now when the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said to him, notice this, he said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Now, that's kind of funny because he's hiding out in this, in this cave. He's threshing a, a little bit of wheat. But God sees something in, in Gideon that Gideon does not yet see in himself. What does God see in him? He sees an ability that Gideon doesn't see. He sees a potential that Gideon doesn't see. He sees a future that Gideon cannot yet see. You see, when God wants to, wants to dangle something over your bucket, when he wants to put something big in there, what you'll find is a lot of times that fear will bring out insecurities. And you'll begin to think things like, well, I'm not good enough, or I'm not smart enough, or, or those kind of things, which is what happens with Gideon here. Notice what he says to God, who, who's just called him a mighty warrior. He says, but, but, but Lord, he asked, how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I'm the least in my family. What's Gideon saying? He's just saying, you know what, God? I really wish that you would do something for us, but I think you've got the wrong guy. First of all, he says, I'm from the weakest clan. He, he says, you know, m my clan isn't, we're not the mighty warriors, and then quite frankly, I'm the least in that group. He's, he's a farmer. He's not a leader. He's not a warrior. In fact, it, when, when you read the passage, you'll find out that his family, his father in particular, was into idol worship. So he's like, my family isn't, they don't even follow you, God. They don't even recognize you. Now, we don't know that Gideon was doing that, but, but his family was. And so you could see where Gideon would be like, have you met my family? <laughs> do, you, do you know what my heritage is like? Here's a man who's more controlled by his fear than he is by his faith. I mean, he's not out there contending for God among the idol worshipers. In verse 14, it tells us this. It says, The Lord turned to him and he said, Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Now, this is interesting to me because God's just saying that Gideon has an ability that, that he doesn't yet see. Now, what did Gideon see when he looked at himself? Well, I think he saw an unqualified person. Uh, he, he recognized that he was full of fear. He thought that he was nobody from a group of nobodies and the least of those nobodies. But when God saw him, what does God see? God sees a warrior. God sees a leader. God sees a, a, a victor. Because God can see in Gideon what Gideon cannot yet see in himself. I love that when I read that. I just love the fact that when God looks at you and God looks at me, he doesn't see what we see. And I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm glad for that. I would just ask the question, what do you see when you look in the mirror? What do you see when you look at yourself? Do you see like Gideon sees? Do you see your past mistakes? 
Do you think about your limitations? Do you think about your imperfections? Or do you basically compare yourself to other people and say, well, I'm not like him or I'm not like her? What do you see when you look in the mirror? And then what does God see? As I read through the Bible, what I see is that when God looks at you or me or one of his children, what does he see? Well, he sees his son. He doesn't see our imperfections. He sees the righteousness of Christ. Now, I understand why we don't always see that when we look in the mirror, but that's what God sees. He sees the righteousness of Christ. When God looks at us, he sees the power that dwells in us through the person of the Holy Spirit. When's the last time you looked in the mirror and saw that? Can you imagine how that might change the way that you approach the things God wants to put in your bucket? If you began to see yourself clothed in the righteousness of Christ, if you could see the power that dwells in you, would that, would that make you approach that thing that you're afraid of a little bit different? When God looks at you, he sees the purposes. A lot of times when God puts something over our bucket, it, it kind of surprises us like, what God, you want me to go to Nicaragua? That's how I felt. I was like, are, are you sure about that? God's thinking, actually, I was thinking about that before you were even born. Yes, God was thinking about that. God sees eternity in us. Two passages really stuck out to me this week as I thought about this whole thing of how does God, how does God see us? In 1 John 3, 1, it says this, How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called, what? Children of God. When God looks at you, what does he see? He sees a child of his. That's what he sees. In Philippians, it, it tells us, Paul says, I can do everything through him who gives me strength. When God puts something over our, our bucket and we're afraid to let him put it in there, I think one of the things we need to do is go back to scripture and begin to think about ourselves the way God thinks about us, to see ourselves the way God sees us. Well, that's the first thing I see in the passage is that you know, Gideon doesn't see himself the way God sees him. The, the, the second thing here that I want to point out, and this is, this is something I've been thinking about for weeks, and it, it's just one of those things that just has stuck with me, and I've thought so much about it. And that is we need to learn to be people who believe God, not just, not just in God. I want to talk for a minute about what that, what that means. Now, Gideon not only has self-doubts, so when Gideon looks in the mirror, he's not only looking at himself and going, mm, yeah, I don't know about that guy. You've got to get the whole picture. Gideon isn't so sure about God either. And that's one of the things that comes out here. Now notice in verse 13 again what he says. He says, but sir, he's talking to this angel. He says, if the Lord is with us. So I just hear this conditional, right? Because the angel's saying, God is with you. Go for it. Do your thing. He says, but, but if, if the Lord is with us, why? Why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our fathers told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord is, notice he has abandoned us and he's put us into the hand of Midian. You don't miss what's happening here. Gideon is questioning the character of God. Gideon is questioning the faithfulness of God. He's saying all this stuff you're saying sounds good, but if God is with us, if that's true, then how do you explain all this? Why has everything gone south? Now, of course, we know from reading the passage that God has already sent a prophet to Israel to explain exactly why this has happened. Because they turned from God and they walked away. And it, it shouldn't have been a mystery to Gideon as to why all this happened. But in the next verse, notice it says, the Lord turned him, God is speaking, 
to get in through this angel. And he says, now I want you to go. So, you know, he's saying, where is God? And I'm questioning God's character and all this stuff. God doesn't defend himself here at all. Notice this. God just says, go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? So I love that. God's just saying, listen, I'm sending you. Isn't that enough? What else do you need? A few verses later, he says this, the Lord answered and said, notice, I will be with you. See, when you let God put something in your bucket, when God gives you an assignment and you let him drop, you know, drop that in there, you understand you're not just getting the assignment. God isn't just dropping the thing in there and going, you know, let me know how it goes. Have fun storming the castle. It's not the way it goes, you know. You get God with, with the assignment. You get the power of God with that. So there's no reason to be worried. There's no reason to stay awake all, all night and worried about what if or what if this happens. Or, because when you let God put that thing in the bucket, God goes with it. Now, in this, if you've studied this passage, you know where I'm going here. So this is, I can't even explain to you fully what's going on here. I'm not smart enough to figure this out. But just the weirdest thing happens in this passage. And I'm sure you've, you've heard this, but... God comes through this angel and he speaks to Gideon and, and then Gideon says, you know, this all sounds really interesting to me, but I'm not quite buying it. And the, and the passage here is uh, what I would, I'm going to label this as a descriptive passage. This is going to describe something that happens, but it's not prescriptive. This is not something you should emulate in your own life. And that is, this is what he does. So, so the angel says, I want you to go and I want you to do this in God's power. And then Gideon says, if it's really God speaking to me, then I would like a sign. And he says, so I'm going to go and I'm going to go get a sacrifice and I'm going to bring it back and build this little altar. And and God, if if you're still here when I get back, (laughs) it's so weird. If you're still here, you know, then I'll believe you. And so Gideon goes and gets it and comes back and, you know, God's patient with him. and, And he's like, that's really cool. And then you'd think, well, that would be gracious of God to give him a sign, except that Gideon comes back to him a few days later and he basically says, God, I could really, before I go out there, I could really use another sign if that would be cool. So we're going to do this thing. I'm going to get a big piece of fleece, all right? And I'm going to put it out tonight on the threshing floor and I'm going to put it out there. Now, if when I wake up in the morning, if that fleece is all wet and soaked, but the ground is dry, then I'll know that I can trust you, you know? And then I'll do what you ask me to do. So he gets up the next morning. He says he takes the fleece and wrings it out and it just fills up a whole bucket. And he's like, boy, that, that's, that's pretty cool, God. I'm just wondering though, could we just possibly try one more time and this time maybe the fleece could be dry and the ground could be wet and you know I just can't believe that God even puts up with this kind of stuff but you know here's why here's what's behind all of this in verse 36 notice notice why he was doing this Gideon said to God notice this if this is so huge if you will save Israel by my hand as you have what promised this is crazy to me I mean, he's just like, I don't know, God. I, you know, I mean, I heard you and, you know, but I don't know. So could we just try a few miracles here? If you could do what I've promised. Here's the, here's the point. He's saying, God, I believe in you. I just don't know if I can believe you. I believe in you. I believe in God. I just don't know if I can actually believe the things that, that you say. Uh, recent Newsweek poll identified, this is crazy, 91% of Americans say they believe in God. 91% of Americans say they believe in God, but we all know that's not the same as believing God, right? 
There's a big difference between those two. For instance, the Bible tells me that the devil and demons believe in God, right? But they obviously don't believe him, obviously. When I was, when I was growing up, I became a Christian in high school, and so I started going to a church down the street, and I had a lot of friends that went there, and uh, uh, most of them were raised in the church. So they, you know, they had to go to church. That's just, that's just the way it went for them. And, uh, and I began to kind of get into the, the, the church culture um, back then where I, where I lived. And I kind of noticed some interesting things. There were a lot of people that believed in God. And you would see things like they would pray at every meal because they believed in God. And, and they would go to church every week whether they thought they needed it or not because that's what you did when you believed in God. And they, when they go to church and they knew when to stand up and when to sit down and, and uh, they knew how to speak the words, the lingo, the Christianese and, and we'd sing the hymns and they knew verses one, two, and four. I never could figure that out. Just in my church, did you do that? We'd always sing one, two, and four. We never sang three. I just make you wonder if the hymn writers would go like, I'm not even gonna work on, on three. Nobody's gonna sing it. No one's even gonna know it, you know? We never sang three and I don't know why. I'm not sure what that was all about, but we didn't do that. And then everyone would go home and have dinner and just forget about everything that happened. And it's so easy to get kind of caught up in that, oh, we do this and this and this because we believe in God. But that's different than believing God. What does it look like when you believe God, not just believe in God? What does that look like? It means you believe the things that he says. And that starts to be reflected in the decisions that you make and, and the things that you do. It doesn't mean you're perfect. But it means you take that, you, you start to take that seriously and grow in that. So what, is that, what would that look like? I just started thinking in my own life this week, some of the, what are some of the things that God says? God says things like, seek first the kingdom and all the other stuff will be taken care of. I, I don't know about you, but that's a challenge. It's a challenge. And so I have to ask myself, do I believe in God or I do, do I believe what God said about that? Is that true? God said things like, don't worry about anything, but pray about everything. Pray about it and then let it go. But you see, believing in the God who said that and believing what he said are two different things, aren't they? They are. He said things like, forgive others as you are forgiven. I have to ask myself sometimes, do I, do I believe what God has said about that? He says things like the path to, to greatness in life is through humbling yourself and, and serving other people. He said things like uh, the path to true security in life is through generosity. The, the, the way to enter real life is through dying to self. He says things like God works out everything for the good of those who love him, who, who are called according to his purpose. And when when, when I go through difficult things in life, that's where I really start to find out. Do I believe that or not? Am I going to freak out or not? Am I going to stress or not? And I would have to confess to you that sometimes I'm found lacking. Sometimes I find myself on my knees realizing I believe in God. There's no question about that. But sometimes <laughs> I struggle with believing him. That's what Gideon struggled with. So Peter struggled with. We all struggle with that at times. But when you think about it, 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 it's kind of irrational, isn't it? To trust God with with my eternity, but not with my today. I mean, when you you just think about it, it's a really irrational thing to do. What would that look like today in your life if if you really, really believed God, not just believed in him? Would that change something in your life relationally right now? If you didn't just believe in him, but you believed what he said about relationships. 
I know it would me. Would it change something financially in your life? Would it change something vocationally? If you didn't just believe in God, but you believed God. Would it change the way you spend your time? Would it change what you do with your stuff? In Psalm 119, 160, the psalmist says this, all of your words are true. I love that. All of your words are true. All your righteous laws are eternal. They will last forever. See, when you believe in God, that's when you say to him, you know what, God? This is yours, and I'm gonna trust you. When you come along with your word and you say, I wanna put this in, or this is important, or I want you to serve, or I want you to, I'm gonna try, I'm not gonna just believe in you. I'm gonna believe you. I'm gonna believe what you say. This is, this is something that for Gideon is, it's a pretty long road and process. And, you know, we can probably relate to that. But if you want to be a person who lives by faith, you've got to get past just believing in God and you've got to start believing him. And, and here's, the, here's the last thing I want to mention as I look in this passage. If, if you want to have an audacious kind of trust in God that just goes beyond just merely believing in him, you've got to learn that once, once you step away from the bucket and, and God wants to put stuff in there, you've got you to gotta trust him not just with what he puts in, but you've got to trust him with the process as well. Because oftentimes, and maybe this is just me, but oftentimes when I say yes to God, when he wants to put something in my bucket, sometimes though I have to admit, I might have a plan already going on in my head about how that's going to work. So, you know, God may say, I want to I do this in your life, I want to put this in your bucket. And that, again, maybe it's just me, but sometimes he does it and I'm always like, okay, so, all right, God, you can put that in. And, but here's where I am and there's where I think you want me to go. So I would like to go down this path to get there. I would like it to take this long and I'd like it to go this way, and I'd like it to be as quick as possible, and I'd like it to be as painless as possible, if, if that's okay. And uh, sometimes when I, when, again, maybe it's just me, but when God puts stuff in there, sometimes I'm kind of like holding on to it while it's down there, because I, in my mind, I'm like, okay, God, you can do that, but I want you to do it in a certain way. And yet, so often, maybe you've learned like I have, it just, God doesn't play those games. When, um, when we went to Nicaragua, we had these rules that, that uh, we had to go over before we went. And, and one of the rules was just, you just, you eat whatever you're served, okay? How many of you are comfortable with that? I'm not raising my hand. <laughs> okay, I'm just, I'm not really comfortable with that. Now, everyone kept saying, oh, the food's great. I'm like, I'm sure it is. I'm sure it's great. I'm sure it's wonderful. That's really exciting. Um, I'm bringing this. So this is, these are, these are the bomb diggity right here. Okay, these are Cliff Bars. Anyone eat Cliff Bars? They are awesome. Blueberry crisp, man. It's the way to go. So here's what I did. We had some, we had some friends who sent their son to a high school to Nicaragua this, uh, this summer before I went. And he just packed his whole suitcase full of food. That's what he did. Now, I'm, I'm not that crazy, but I packed, I had a, actually a bigger bag than this. And uh, it was a really thick Ziploc bag. And then I had my individual bars wrapped in there. And these were, these were basically, this is my little control clutch here. Because I, I told God, look, God, I'm, I'm going to eat whatever I'm served. Okay? But if I'm going through the line and it doesn't look like it's something I want to be served, well, there's no rule that says you have to be served. And so I just, I just won't be served. I'm not going to throw food away because that would be rude. I'm not going to do that. 
but I just won't go through the line, and I'll just, so every morning we get up, and every morning I just take one of these babies with me, put it in my fanny pack, so that's already out of the bag, and, uh, and I'd have that with me. That's uh, so old, and, um, and so I'd have that, and it was just like my little, it was my little thing. Now, here's the deal. No, no problem with that, okay? Every morning on our way to the work site, we would drive by a little Minute Mart thing, and we would get water and maybe some Gatorade, and we could get snacks, so there was no rule against that. It was, okay, this was legit, all right, so don't get down on me for that, but this, this is the thing, okay? But I was the, I was the guy, I told you this last week, I was the guy who prayed before I went, God, I just, I'm just, I gotta, I gotta grow. I know you want to change me, and I know there's some things that you want to deal with in me, and I don't even know what all of them are, and I don't even know how you would do that. You ever been there? Just like, God, I know there's some things about me that need to change. I know there's some ways I need to grow. I don't even know what those things are. How, how, how can a person change what they don't know? So I just, I began to pray to God. God, I'm just praying when you go to Nicaragua, just, just break me. That's all I prayed because I didn't know what else to pray. Just break me. Just break me wide open. I would tell somebody that. And I'd tell my friends, yeah, I'm praying God will break me. And they would just smile. They'd just feel like, that's a good prayer. You should pray that. And I would just feel like, but I mean it, God. I just, I just, I need you to break me open and, and take. So here's the thing. When you, when you pray like that, okay, there's just, there's some things there's some things going to happen. So I, I kind of went going, this is what I'm going to need to get through. This is my way of taking care of myself. And uh, so I think we're about a week into the trip. We're a week into the trip. And um, one day we're back at the, at the hotel. And um, I just, that's a whole other story. And I go and I got a couple suitcases and I got one on the floor and I'm going to go get something out of my, my bags in the evening. And I lift it up. I lift it up. I'm down on my knees. And when I lift it up, I see something moving around in my bag and I kind of jump back and this mouse comes out. And then another mouse comes out and then another mouse comes out. Three mice come jumping out of my suitcase. Now I'm just kind of like, mice don't freak me out, but I'm like, I wonder who invited them. Like, what are they doing here? Why are they in my suitcase? How long have they been in my suitcase and what are they up to? And so I kind of looking around my suitcase and I'm like, I don't know what in the world they would. And then I started to notice there were some little crumbs of food in my, around in my suitcase. And I'm like, where is that? Where's that? Where's that? Oh, and then I, and then I realized, and I'm like, oh man. So I take the bag and I notice they've, they've chewed through the bag and they've chewed into, there's little holes in all of these. And then my mind puts it all together. And I realized that all week long, I just thought, man, they don't wrap these things very well. <laughs> and I had been, been eating from the same food source as mice. And <laughs> I brought my whole suitcase out and I was dumping everything out. And I just knew, I didn't think it was, Mike Lamb was laughing so hard. He thought it was so funny. He thought it was hilarious. I didn't think it was that funny. I was just... I did the whole thing so I wouldn't get sick to my stomach and it didn't work because I was getting so nauseous even to think about it. I just, I'm just, the reason I say that is that it was like God was saying, you know, there's so many ways, Bob, that you try to control things, so many ways that you try to protect yourself. It was your prayer, you know? So, and it was so gross. I was so disgusted. I, I haven't eaten one of these since. I have not. I can't eat them. There's, but here's Gideon, okay? Here's my, here's my point. There's no point. Here's Gideon. And God says, I want you to go and I want you to do this, okay? And, and, and Gideon thinks, okay, but I got to count up my, I, I got to count up my nutrition bars, right? So Gideon puts up some signs and he recruits an army. And he gets an army and he's got 
32,000 guys sign up. He's got 32,000 like going, we're on your side, and Gideon's kind of looking and going, well, I don't know. Here's the problem. Historians tell us there's about 150,000 Midianites in their army. He's got 32,000, 150,000, plus Amalekites and other nations. Some commentators say there could have been, you know, somewhere around 200,000 people in his army, and Gideon's got 32,000. So Gideon's thinking, that's a good start, God, but we're going to need a lot more. And look what happens here. Gideon thinks we're going to need some more, but the Lord said to Gideon, watch this. Are you ready? You have, what? Too many, too many cliff bars in that bag. You have too many men for me to deliver Midian into their hands. Isn't that the craziest thing you've heard? You have too many people. You have too much in order that Israel may not boast against me that her own strength has saved her. You see what God said? Gideon just wants a big army. Gideon just wants to win. I just, I just want to be healthy. I just want to get by. God says, no, I've got something much bigger. What I want to do is so big that you can't have this because then you'll think it was you. You can't have the army because you'll think it was you. So, so God says, here's what I want you to do. Announce to the people. I want everyone who trembles. Get the army together, 32,000 of you. Anyone afraid? Anyone trembling? Anybody, you know, scared? Go home. Go home to mommy. It's okay. It's okay. Go ahead. And notice this. And 22,000 people leave. And Gideon's just got to be like, oh man, God, are you, are you kidding me? And then, and then here's what God says. Look, at, there are still too many men. God just loved this. He's like, God's like, no, 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 no. This is too, you still got 10,000. That's, that's way too many people. So let's sift them through. Okay, uh, if I say to you, this one shall go with you, then he shall go. And if I say, this one shall not go with you, then he shall not go. So Gideon takes the men down to the water and there the Lord tells them, now separate those, tell them all to go down the water and get a drink. All right, and separate those who lap the water with their tongues like a dog from those who kneel down to drink. So he's just saying that some guys are going to go down by the water and they're going to kind of go like this and drink. And some guys are going to kneel all the way down and they're just going to kind of drink the water. He says, I want you to separate those two groups. Now 300 men lapped with their hands to their mouths and all the rest got down on their knees to drink. And the Lord said, again, had to be kind of a blow to Gideon, with the 300 men that lapped, I will save you. And give the Midianites into your hands. Let all the other men go, each to his own place. Now, we don't know what the significance was, and that doesn't stop commentators from trying to figure it out, but I don't even care. Just, God's just looking for the smallest group of people that he can get. And then God gives him the battle plan. I want you to divide the 300 men into three companies, into three groups of 100. Now, here's their weapons. Place trumpets and empty jars in the hands of all of them with torches inside. Now, they're going to do this in the middle of the night. And watch me, he says, and follow my lead. When I get to the edge of the camp, do exactly as I do. And when I and all who are with me blow our trumpets, then all from all around the camp blow yours and shout for the Lord and for Gideon. So each man has a trumpet, a jar, and a torch in the jar. They encircle the camp brilliant plan. They encircle the camp. They blow their trumpets in the middle of the night. They drop the jars. The jars break. They pick up the torches. Makes total sense, doesn't it? Just sounds like an A-team episode to me. I don't know, right? So the Midianite army in the middle of the night, they wake up and they panic. They run in confusion. In the confusion, they start to strike each other down, and those who are left flee, and, and, and they get caught. And I just, the whole time I'm reading this, I'm like, could this have ever, ever been part of Gideon's plan? When God dropped that thing in the bucket? No, absolutely not. Because often when we let God put something in our bucket, we're like, God, this is how it's going to work. 
and let's get it done as soon as possible and no pain and no problems. But here's the deal. God not only knows the destination we need to get to, but he knows the best path to get there. God sees the things we don't see. He knows the things we don't know. He has the wisdom, but we, don't have, we not only need to trust him with what goes in our bucket, but we need to trust the process to him as well. Well, I need to, I need to wrap this up. So let me just uh, let me just close with this. So um, I mentioned to you that I'd been praying for a while. I'd been praying, God, just, I, I need you, I need you to break me. I don't even know what that means, but I, I know you want to do something in me. And so as I shared last week, I'm, I'm going to go to Nicaragua because I think maybe you can do something with me there. And, and so I had this plan of mine. Here's, here, here's my plan. Uh, I would go to Nicaragua. And when we got there, I would, I would work. I would dig ditches, and I would do some teaching, and God would work. I would work, um, you know, outside, and God would work in my heart, and whatever he needed to do, and he would do that, and then I'd come back all better, and that was my plan. So two, take two weeks, and we'd get it all wrapped up, and everything would be good, and when I get back on August 1st, then we'll just, we'll move right into the future. Everything will be great. So uh, we get on the flight from, from Houston. We're coming home from Houston to Portland. And our flight was delayed. It's, it's, it's late at night, and we get on the plane. And uh, after, it's, I think it's a four-and-a-half-hour flight, and after a while, m- most everyone's, they're sleeping, and it's kind of dark. And I'm sitting there just thinking about the trip. I'm really confused because I'm not feeling any different than I did when I left. I'm not feeling any wiser. <laughs> I'm not feeling any more self-aware. I just, just, just none of that. I'm just sitting there on the plane going, God, I don't... I don't understand. I thought we were going. I thought you were going to do this. And I, you know, like how messed up am I that I you know, go out for two weeks and I still, nothing, nothing's happening. And we're, we're kind of flying along and I don't know if this ever happened to you, but I'm just sitting there and it's real quiet in the plane and all of a sudden, all of a sudden it was just like, I don't even know what it was. I just got, it's like I got hit with this wave from the Holy Spirit and I just, I just began to, I began to sob. I began to cry right there on the, Right there on the plane, you know, I'm kind of looking around, making sure everyone's really not, everyone's sleeping, no one's looking at me, and I'm trying to, trying to and, I, and, I, and I, all, all, I, all I could tell you was I really sensed that even though I didn't know exactly why, I felt like God was going, no, I'm, I, I am, I am working in you, okay? But we're not, we're not doing your plan, we're doing my plan. Okay, I know you wanted to go and have it all nice and have it on a spreadsheet and get it done, and it's not going to work that way. And I, I tell you, on that, on that, that was a rough flight. And uh, there, were a, there were a lot of tears. And then, and I just remember thinking like on the flight, like, God, this is, this is, this is your timing on the way home, you know? And I get off the plane, everyone's like, what's wrong with him? And, and then we've been home for seven weeks now. And I, I'll just tell you, I would just say, I'm not sure that a day has gone by in the last seven weeks where God hasn't done something. Something to break me. And just about the time, I don't know how to best put it, but just about the time I think, okay, God, I think I'm broken. The next day, God's like, no, <laughs> no, you're not. <laughs> we still got a, whoa, man, we got a ways, we got a ways to go. And I'll tell you something. It has been, it has been brutal. It has been hard. I I had a guy tell me a few weeks ago, you should never pray that prayer. That is a crazy prayer to pray because God will answer your prayer. And I, I tell you, I just feel like um, I thank God that he's answered my prayer. It's not fun. 
It's been difficult. It's, at times, it's been, it's been um, humiliating. At times, it's been embarrassing as God begins to reveal some things about me that are not like Jesus Christ, things that need to, need to change. But as, as tough as it's been, I wouldn't trade it for anything because God is, is teaching me that I can, I can trust him. And I can change. I don't need to be the same controlling, fearful, insecure person. I can trust him. I want to read one last verse for you and then we'll, we'll close. Actually, I don't have it on the screen. Let me just read this. 1 John 4.18 says this. Listen to this. There is no fear in love. This is the verse I've been thinking about. There is no fear in love. But perfect love drives out fear. And for me, the thing that I've been learning is that God loves me and there's nothing, there's nothing to be afraid of with God. I can trust him with anything and everything. And God loves you too. And you can trust him. Perfect love drives out all fear. Let's pray.